Hello, everybody. My name is Shalom Bam, and I am back in Dafa Shavua. Thank you very much, Rabbi Israeli, for covering. And unfortunately, I've been very tied up with some of the other shiurim and other issues, but uh, I am committed to Dafa Shavua. So thank you very much. We're going to move, and hopefully, I'm going to be able to send out uh, two or three Dafim, and we're going to be able to uh, catch up ASAP. What I want to do today for Dafa Samaktes is give a basic overview. What I may do in uh, the next several shiurim is at least, I'll always give you some practical situations that I have to deal with, but we'll at least be able to cover the Rambam, the Shulchan Aruch. I know many of you are ahead of me, so I want, don't want you to miss at least the, the classic uh, Rishonim and the Halacha on these sugyas. What we're dealing with today and what we have been dealing with and will continue to deal with is is really a very hot topic. It's not a hot topic if uh, you're not aware of the background, but it's the topic of Nadunya. Nadunya technically means the dowry, and we're going to talk about the dowry very, very often. The dowry is something that the man, the woman, brings into the marriage. Okay, so that's very simple. In exchange for the dowry, the husband adds to the basic requirements of the ksuba. I've explained this before, that the ksuba has uh, three elements, three financial elements. The basic uh, requirements, that also includes not only financial obligations, but other obligations that are included as far as what he has to provide for her. We learned about this in uh, Pasha Mishpatim. Then you have, I'm skipping a little bit, the Tosefis Ksuba, out of his deep love for her. He's going to add an additional amount. I'm not going through the amounts now. We've discussed this in the past. And then there's for the Nadunya that she brings in, the dowry. And one has to define what exactly is included in the dowry. Now that's the from the Ksubis perspective, but there's something else that's happening, which is very important to keep in mind. You see, according to Torah law, a woman does not inherit once the husband dies, which means the wife doesn't inherit. It goes to the kids. The Ksuba in general is going to make sure that the wife gets something. So part of the background of all of this, as I understand it, is what's lacking in the halachas of uh, Yerusha. Now, we have to be very careful, the Rambam reminds us, because these halachas of Yerusha is a, is a mishpat. So we're really not supposed to uh, violate it, even though in general, I'm not giving all the sources, but when it comes to Dine Mominus, you're allowed to put Tanayim into Dine Mominus. At the same time, so the same as with the daughter. A husband, a father ends up dying, so you have two problems. When I say problems, you know, contemporary issues that come up if not dealt with in advance. You have a Bukhar who's going to end up with Pishnayim. Uh, He's going to end up getting a double portion just because he happened to be born first. The rest of the boys are going to inherit a single portion, and the, the Medal is the girls are going to get absolutely zero. 
Now, you fast forward this to modern times. You could take the frumous families in the world, and this is going to create a lot of shalom bias issues. The women don't get. The women may need the money, obviously, just like the boys need the money. And I want to tell you that as a rabbi, I deal with inheritance issues even without this. You see, there is a chuva from Ramosha that maybe we could say today, Dina Machusadina, even if special conditions are not put in, it's a big chiddush because you still have to go back to that Rambam and go back to Torah law. All of what I'm telling you today is important background. It's like the deeper issue that's happening with Nadunya. Because to a certain extent, and I say this with full respect, Nadunya is a little bit of a workaround, as we'll explain. There's a Rav in Teaneck, New Jersey, Rev. Daniel Feldman. He just published a book. I don't know if he covers this in his Safer, but he published a book about Torah workarounds. We have the idea of uh, lending money with interest. How are we able to do that with a special star? Even things as basic as mechir aschametz. You have a special star that Ramosha has in Igros Moshe, where a person is able to work on not work on Shabbos, but is able to Hasur Shalom. He's able to have his business function on Shabbos through a special star where a non-Jewish partner gets something. So this is all what's going on over here. And there's a human understanding. Now, none of this we could do simply because we want to do it. You know, I mentioned in this year, we've been, uh, been spending a lot of time on the Tzor Bashirim on Sunday morning. Unfortunately, it's had an impact on my Dafa Shavua preparation. But I pointed out that in a year yesterday, Beautiful idea from Ravamital, Zatzal, Shivat Haritzion. The minhag that he had was on uh, Friday night to say Kigavna and to say Bamemadlikin. I know this sounds like an outlier issue. Bamemadlikin is the halacha, it's a technical halacha. Kigavna, it's based on the Zohar, actually, in Pashas Truma. It's more about the spirit, the, the feeling, the emotion. And he felt that, uh, especially on Shabbos, when you establish the essentials, we need both. You can't just have the emotion, but you also can't just have the halacha. It's the same thing that's happening over here. The chazal create, maybe even on a, uh, either on a rabbinic level, or nadunya is understood based on a pasuk in Yirmiyahu, I'm not sure if you covered this with Rabbi Israeli, but you'll cover it with Bam, based on a pasuk of Yirmiyahu, is we want people to get married. We want girls to be able to have something if chas uh, v'shalom, the husband dies. And we want the children to have. So the emotional piece, I call that emotional, it's not just practical, it's an emotional piece comes up. The proof to me that it's an emotional piece is a Rambam. The Rambam in Hilchos Nachlois says something very radical that only the Rambam could say. It's really based on a Gemara Masech Shabbos, but it's formulated by the Rambam. The Rambam says that when it comes to Yerusha, you can't favor, it's in the context of Yerusha, but then he makes this general statement, you can't favor one child over another child. 
because if you favor one child over another child, you're going to end up with Yosef being thrown into the pit. I mean, is that unbelievable? That's a Rambam, because Nisgalgal had Dover. Even if it's not intended, one thing leads to the other. The reason why he writes that in Hilchus Nachlos is the Rambam knew, and even Shalom Baum has seen, what happens when you have a favorite child, especially if the favorite child is considered to be the favorite child in Yerusha issues. I've dealt with this, even uh, in the little practice of uh, law that I did, I was dealing with trust in estates, and I saw such a situation. <coughs> Very famous, uh, well-known artist, I'm not going to say it. I don't think I'm allowed to mention the name, although maybe the statute of limitations has passed, but who left uh, one of the kids, like a token. There used to be something called the New York City token. And everybody else got millions. And the basic message was to the kid, you don't uh, come to see me, so I'll give you a token. Basically, that was a token. And that was the end of it. It went to law, whole case. I had to be involved in writing the opinion. Very interesting. Now, even with what the Rambam says, it's not so push it. Because the Rambam is, and this is my point, which is very important, the Rambam would still admit that you need to have uh, Pishnayim for the oldest. So then, by definition, you're favoring the oldest. I think, the way I understand the Rambam, the Rambam's assuming that, okay, if the halacha says something, then people aren't going to end up getting jealous. But today, it's not so pushing. And that's why, I'm going to mention this before I come back to our sugya with the Nadunya, that's why, there's something called the Shtar Chatzizachar, which maybe we'll spend some time on it. There's a uh, Rav, most of you know, in Teaneck, New Jersey. His name is Rabbi uh, Chaim Jachter, Rabbi Howard Jachter. He's written extensively on this. He has a book, one of his svarim, I think it's, yeah, Gray Matters. I think it's in volume three. It's probably online also. Um, he writes about the amazing, amazing piece he has on this technically, practically, Rabbi uh, Mordechai Willig has said a lot about this revival cone. There's, there's a lot written about today. What's the mechanism? And this is, I know, Rabbi Willig recommends that uh, will, everybody should get an equal amount, including the daughters. Rabbi Willig, Rabbi Mordechai Willig, is not chas shalom going against the Torah. So even with what we say with the Rambam, with the Mishpat, we have these workarounds, and it goes back. You have the Chassam Sofer. It was actually with the Chassam Sofer, I think he called it not a Shtar Chatsi Zachar, but a Shtar Zachar Shalem, if I'm correct. Okay, so what does that have to do with us? So let's move to our Gemara. And maybe this is all I'll do today to give you a good setup of what's... This is underneath what's been going on with our Nidunya Sugya. Okay, so... A father, just two issues. So one is being attractive. Okay, unfortunately, even today, people sometimes, they want money. I hate to say it that way. They want to know, what's the financial status of this woman? You know, the guy wants to sit and learn in Colo, or the guy wants to go to medical school. He wants to know that he's going to be provided for by his father-in-law. 
you all know the story of the yeshiva guy who uh, the father-in-law asks him, potential father-in-law, how are you going to be supported? He says, don't worry, the Abishta, the Abishta, the Abishta. Every answer is the Abishta is going to take care of me. And the father-in-law, the future father-in-law, getting to the bottom line, he said, I don't know about this guy so much, but I know he thinks I'm, the, I'm God because I'm the Abishta who's going to provide for him. Okay, so for different reasons. Obviously, that's not what a relationship should be based on, but there's an aspect. So the woman comes in with an adunya, and the adunya goes to the husband. However, if the husband uh, passes away, the adunya stays with the woman. So it's a way to protect the woman when she's getting married. It's a way to protect, it's to, to incentivize a man to marry her. And most importantly, which is really what's going on, is it makes sure that the money that she brought in to the marriage does not end up going to another child. Because let's say this, this guy is married to another woman, either simultaneously when that was allowed, but not, uh, obviously today we don't allow polygamy, or it could be the situation today where there's a second marriage or there was a first marriage. Why should the Nadunya go to these strangers? So you understand this all goes back to the Yerusha issue. It's tied in. When I teach this, I like to be able to connect this. If you look at it from a Sugya perspective, it's similar to the halachas of the, the chatzis zachar. So that's what's happening over here. Now, these halachas, which sound like, okay, the rabbis came up with this nadunya thing, it's not so pashit that it's a, it's a rabbinic thing. It's referred to in Chazal as divrei kabbalah. Divrei kabbalah meaning that it is not midaraisa, but it has its sources in the Torah in the Vim. And here, the sources in the Vim is in the Pasuk in Yirmiyahu. So the assets that the woman brings in, they're referred to in Chazal as Son Barzel. Son Barzel literally means iron sheep. So even though he could wheel and deal with it, technically he could trade these assets, he doesn't have to keep them locked up. But if the marriage is dissolved, or he dies, it's his responsibility, according to the Ksuba, to put the dowry back in, we call that in law, to restitute the assets, the value of the dowry to his wife. It doesn't have to be the exact things, like if she brings in jewelry or bedding, she does, he doesn't have to like hold on to that bedding. So no matter how much the bride brings into the marriage as a dowry, they used to actually write it down. But we have a, um, the minog is the ksuba gives a set amount. There are some differences, let's say, between an Eretz Yisrael and in America as far as how this is done generally with the ksuba, how specific it gets. I saw someone said that it's uh, today we put 17 G's, 17,000. Some say it's the, the whole ksuba is maybe 30,000, so this would be less. 
but whatever the amount is. <clears throat> now, again, a lot of this today, going back to the beginning part of my conversation, is going to be legally taken care of in a will. And we are going to let a halachic will, using the shtar chatzizachar, that's going to be able to uh, basically supersede all of this, not meaning that the ksuba doesn't apply, especially the positive elements of what the man has to do. So this is where things get a little complicated, but I just wanted to end with the Pasuk from Yirmiyahu and give you an application. We don't want marriages to be held back, whether it's from the woman's side, whether it's from the man's side, because you're going to end up worrying about what's going to happen in the future. You don't want to be sitting there under the chuppah and the father-in-law, you know, or the girl's father is thinking that my son-in-law, or usually it's the son-in-law's father, they think this guy's trying to rip me off. This is, by the way, totally as an aside, today it becomes common, especially with very wealthy families, that there's a prenup that's signed. Not just a halachic prenup, which of course we encourage, but there's a financial prenup. And I have a lot to say about this maybe in a future year. How does that work? It is allowed halachically, but there's also a midos issue the girl's going to feel if she has to sign it or the guy's going to feel if he has to sign it, like this person doesn't trust me. But very often that prenup is being encouraged by relatives because they don't want some new nephew or some new niece to come in and take the family fortune. So these gemaras are all over the place, halach ma'isa. But let me end with the Pasuk Yirmiyahu, and I'm going to tell you something that applies bizman hazeh, as I always try to do. So the Pasuk says, and you should remember this Pasuk because it came up earlier in the Gemara, it's the Pasuk in Yirmiyahu, Chav Vav. You have to keep in mind, Yirmiyahu is talking about Galos. We still want weddings to take place. It's Perichav Tes Pasuk Vav in Yirmiyahu. And the Pasuk says, Kechu Nashim Vaholidu Banam Uvanos, Kechu Levnechem Nashim Besmenosechem, Tenu La Nashim Vatalaydna Banam Uvanos. The Mitzudas David explains is, Don't hold back from getting married. And the Gemara and the Mishnah understands this, is don't let these technicalities, because you're worried about what's going to happen, hold people back from marriage. You know, don't, what do they say? Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. You want to get, you want to have marriage. I just bring this up today. We're in the middle of this war since October 7th. We want people to get married. During uh, World War One, leading up to World War Two, the Chavetz Chaim, some say it was the last speech the Chavetz Chaim gave before leaving Raden, marriages should take place. There were marriages that took place in DP camps. The marriages that take place, I'm not comparing in Eretz Yisrael today, you have Chayalim who leave. And, okay, we could deal with the technicalities, we could deal with the financial that should always be the sidebar. The main thing is that we should continue to build Jewish families. Have a great week of learning.